The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. So uh, with me is the Minister for Health, um, Stephen Donnelly, coming out of what was predicted to be and turned out to be one of the more challenging winters for the health service. But unless, uh, touch wood, there is significant bad news coming down the track that isn't immediately evident, it would appear that most of that is behind us. So he is here to look ahead to 2023 and to the plans beyond that. Before we get to that, though, Minister, the thing that... Um, has been most present in the news over the last couple of weeks has been the INMO's decision to allow for the balloting for strike action in individual sites around the system. Now, this is a balloting for strike action, not for terms and conditions, not for an increase of pay, but for situations wherein the nurses working in those hospitals or care facilities feel that either they or patients are at a significant risk because of the uh, reduction in staffing and the unavailability of staffing. To find yourself in that position is a fair indictment of your stewardship of the system, isn't it? I was quite taken aback by the INMO's uh, position because this is going to be the fourth year of record recruitment into the HSE. Uh, in a row. So the HSE, our public health service is coming from a, a low base in terms of the the number of nurses, midwives, consultants, health and social care professionals per capita. Uh, so this government has invested at a level that has never before been seen. Uh, we have 18,000 more healthcare professionals in the system now than we did when COVID arrived. It's We have thousands of more doctors, nurses, midwives, health and social care professionals right across the system. Um, There are individual hospitals which struggle. And there are individual uh, specialties With the greatest of respect, Minister, if if you go back to your period as a a consultant in in the corporate world, if a company came to you and said, we measure our success and our capacity to spend money and run up costs and to recruit people, you'd say that's not the measure of success. The measure of success is outcomes. And what the INMO is saying is that if you take trolley watch as we currently stand, we have a situation in terms of patients and trolleys that is little changed in two decades and there's no evidence that it is changing. Ultimately, everything we're doing starts and ends with the patient. The vision is universal healthcare, and there are three very clear tests. Is, healthcare, is, is the healthcare affordable? Is it high quality? Uh, and is it accessible? So everything we're doing is, is, is to that end. So as I said, we've 18,000 more staff in uh, this year than we had when COVID arrived. Uh, what does that mean? It means there's new services available in the community and in hospitals. Uh, it means that the waiting lists fell last year, not by as much as we wanted, but they fell and they are going to fall again uh, this year. So that's really what, to, to your point, Anton, the point is not uh, more staff. The point is better and, and more timely services for patients. That's what we're involved in. And so, and can you give us numbers on that? As we now stand, the waiting lists uh, for, for the total um, net waiting list is what? And the trolley list is what, in your estimation? So last year, the waiting list action plan saw a reduction in the number of men, women and children waiting for care above the Sloancha care figures. That's, what, that's the cross-party agreement. There was a reduction of 18%. Now that's a lot of men, women and And what's and the net number? Uh, I, I don't have the net number with me, but it's it, but it's hundreds of thousands. And so there's an awful lot of work still to be done. Uh, and there's a there's a, a very comprehensive plan, waiting list plan this year, uh, which started in January. There's good progress being made. And the so, trolley number? I don't have today's trolley number, but but what we do what we did have was the three days after the New Year bank holiday, uh, we saw very high figures. Uh, they were unacceptable. And indeed, the, the general figures we're seeing through the year now are unacceptable, but it got particularly bad for three days. Um, I intervened. We met with the HSE. 
we looked to do some things very quickly, like weekend rostering, not just of the hospital teams, but of the community teams as well. Um, and what we saw was a very rapid reduction in the number of people on trolleys. We saw about a 50% reduction um, week on week. And so what we're doing is saying, we know what works. We know that it's about integrated care. It's about prevention. It's about capacity within the hospitals, critically discharge, uh, more discharge options, more relationships between individual hospitals uh, and... Well, can uh, I ask hospitals. on that? And, on that, and on can I just, just, just finish this w- one thing? And so what we're doing now is saying, we know what works. So we're putting in place now staff and capacity and funding to put those solutions on a permanent basis rather than just implementing them when things get bad. Okay, to that thing of what works, I was reading a, a quote, and I think the, the examiner recently, um, from a surgical pathologist called Rob Landers in the uh, University Hospital Waterford. He's, of course, the president of the Irish Hospitals Consultants Association as well. And he said that one of the things that they had done is that they had purchased, effectively, private sector beds as they saw capacity pressures coming into the hospital. And as he described it, the solution to the HSE is waiting in plain sight. If they can do it in Waterford, you can do it everywhere. Is he right? He, he is right, and I, and I would add to that. So Waterford is probably the exemplar right across the country. They've had three years now where they haven't had a single patient on trolleys. So three things I would say happened in Waterford. First of all, just before COVID, they got extra beds, and those beds matter, and that's why we've added 1,000 beds in the last few years, and we're going, to be adding, we're going to be adding a lot more. That's the first thing that happened. The second thing, as Dr. Landers quite rightly says, is what Waterford has done and others like Port Leash and Tullamore and others who are doing much better uh, on uh, trolley numbers. They have arrangements in place with nursing homes for transition beds. So say say a two-week stay maximum. It's working very well. Um, but the third thing that Waterford has that we need to see as well is Waterford, their ED consultants are there in the evenings. They're there at the weekends. And critically, their colleagues are there and the community services are available for discharge. Now, reading between the lines, that would seem to suggest that two out of the three factors in Waterford's uh, advantage are available to all acute care facilities in the country, but they're not using them. Is that correct? So two things have to happen. First of all, the, the, the government has to add significant additional capacity, and that's what we're doing. The clinical community have quite rightly said we need a lot more beds. Indeed, they're, but the second two, the rostering they're, they're at the, right. in, into the evenings for ED and for the provision of, of the multidisciplinary teams to be there outside of hours, and the deals done with private sector step-down facilities. That, that's not unique to Waterford. It's not, no. So the deals with the, with the private sector nursing homes, that is now being rolled out. Um, part of the urgent care plan for this year is putting in place those relationships not close to the winter. Uh, in, in my view, for some of the hospitals it got signed off too late in the year. So we're looking at putting those relationships in place now so that the hospitals um, have that level of discharge capacity available to them. And in terms of rostering, you'll be aware that very shortly we're launching the new consultant contract. And absolutely central to the new contract is saying, look, we need to move away from a hospital system that works at full tilt, let's say, nine to six, Monday to Friday, um, we must have more services available for patients in the evenings and at the weekends. That's what Waterford does. That's what the new contract is about. So explain then to me, if, if all of this is going on and if the INMO, if we return to what they said about their desire to uh, ballot for strike action when necessary, is it that they don't understand what is in train? Is it that you fail to communicate to them that is what's in train or that they don't believe it? No, the, the INMO knows what's in train and the INMO has been very... Constru- yes, they want to strike? Well, well, let me just say, I, I believe the INMO has been very constructive and very uh, positive in terms of engaging on emergency uh, uh, um, 
emergency medicine issues for patients and for their staff. Um, as you know, the the Philney Hay co-chairs the the emergency uh, task force. I attended that with them, and certainly every conversation I have with the INMO is around finding local and national solutions for patients and for the INMO members. I would imagine what the INMO is pointing to here is that there are individual hospitals and there are individual specialties within individual hospitals where in spite of the funding being available and the sanctioning of the posts being there, they can't hire. Let me give you an example. I was in the Kilkenny Emergency uh, Department recently, an incredible staff doing doing an excellent job, but under consistent pressure. And when I was talking to the Assistant Director of Nursing for the Emergency Department, she said that in Kilkenny, they're finding it really hard to hire in and keep emergency medicine nurses. So they're using temporary staff, they're using locums. And so in places like that, it is simply the case that for the nurses and the doctors and the healthcare assistants and the health there's, and social there's care There's a gap in the logic there, though, they're Minister. They're sustained pressure. If, if that is the case, if your description of the IMO's thinking is correct, then what you are suggesting is that they are striking in the hope that it will improve recruitment. That's not why people strike. People strike because they believe that they are not being listened to by those who are in authority, and those who are in authority is you. Certainly, if the point is they need more staff the staff are sanctioned. So just last year, we launched phase two of the safe staffing framework. This is a core policy for the INMO, quite rightly. Uh, Phase one was for hospital wards in the bigger hospitals so that there was a proper ratio of nurses to patients. And phase two is the emergency departments. So there are a lot more staff have now been sanctioned in the emergency departments, nurses, healthcare assistants. And last year, I sanctioned an extra 52 emergency medicine consultants. Now, we only had about 110. So an extra 52 is a huge uh, is a huge increase. So the sanctioning of the staff has happened. The safe so staff is, is, being, is being rolled out. They want permission to strike. I, I don't know. The, the INMO will have to tell you that. All I can do is fully acknowledge that in some hospitals and in some specialties, these, the healthcare professionals, the nurses and, and the other healthcare professionals are under sustained pressure. And we have to find ways of filling out the posts that are sanctioned. But in some places, they're just finding it really hard to get the people in, recruit them uh, and keep them. You're in a position where you have inherited a, a perennial set of problems. There have been waiting lists for as long as most people can remember. There have been a trolley crisis for as long as most people remember. There have been rolling analyses as to how we, we solve this problem. As you deal with all of that, you are coming out of the the winter, which is a bit of breathing room in terms of the HSE and Department of Health's uh, flexibility. What then do you hope to achieve for 2023? So as I was saying earlier on, the vision is universal healthcare. Affordable, high quality care when you need it. The affordability agenda is going very well, as as, as your listeners will be aware. Costs are, are we're, we're cutting costs um, uh, last year, this year, and we're going to keep going with that. Clinical quality is getting better and better. Women's healthcare services are new. Fertility treatments are coming online. The National Cancer Strategy is going uh, better and better. There's a lot of good things are happening. So the single biggest priority and the single biggest challenge is access for patients. Access to scheduled care, so that's the waiting lists, and access to unscheduled care, which is either minor injury units, national ambulance service, uh, or emergency departments. So what are we doing? We're in the middle of the biggest expansion of permanent resources in our healthcare service has been in a very long time. We've added 1,000 beds, we'll be adding a lot more. We've added 18,000 staff, we'll be adding a lot more. Um, but on top of that, there, there, there is an agenda of reform. So we're moving to the regional health areas 
Um, we need to get much better at e-health. It is a source of huge frustration for our healthcare professionals in the community where they're still using paper files and in the hospitals where the systems just are not fit for purpose. Not in every case, but in, but, but in far too many cases. Um, and what I'm engaged with at the moment with government colleagues is putting together an accelerated capital process. Basically, as anyone in healthcare will tell you, the state is takes far too long to put new beds, new theatres, new diagnostics in place. Now, and we're looking to we're looking to. Can I ask you that. on that? Because one of the stories that emerged this week was a, a quote from yourself in respect of the cervical cancer screening laboratory and how long that that would take to be in place, this being a domestic one rather than having to ship the specimens to the US. And you said that it would be five years before such a laboratory was up and running to uh, its its full uh, capacity. In a context where it takes five years to get one lab running, how long will it take to do all the things that you're outlining there? Well, so if I speak to the lab, it's a slightly different example, right? So the lab is up and running. Uh, it's now doing cervical uh, cervical checks uh, samples. So that's happening. But Very few, it, by comparison. But they've started, right? They, they, they've started. Now, what the team running the lab have said to me is the skill set, the type of professionals you need to do this kind of work, we largely lost them when the work got outsourced to international labs. And so they're having to train up new healthcare professionals. These are highly, highly skilled people and it takes years to train them. So it's not about a lack of funding or a lack of will. They're saying it simply takes time to train up the healthcare professionals. But are these not the corollary problems that you have across the entire system? We have seen the the big brain drain we've had of people to Australia and to beyond out of the system. We've seen the difficulty that there is in hiring and getting in consultants and senior level docs. Surely that is the same thing, the, the cervical lab being emblematic of the challenge you face across the entire system. I don't think it is. I think the, I think the cervical check lab is something very specific where we have to literally build up the skill sets here. Um, and that's happening, right? Now, the, 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 the narrative that kind of everyone is leaving our healthcare service, it, it, it simply isn't true. Uh, we, yes, we have some people within our health service who get frustrated or who want to go to Australia or Canada or wherever it is. That's absolutely true. Um, but but the latest figures I have from the department show that about 95% of graduate nurses have accepted jobs within the public health service. Um, and as I said, we're building up um, the workforce. However, um, as I've said previously, I think we need to probably double the number of uh, healthcare college places, uh, medical places, dental places, nursing, midwifery, health and social care professionals. So Minister Harris and I are engaged uh, with that. The reality is, Anton, Two in every five doctors and nurses in this country were not trained in this country. But there's a case in point. You, t- you say it takes five years to train up the staff for the um, cerv- cervical um, laboratory. Well, to get to, to get to full capacity. Well, they're, they're adding capacity every The same you know, is true then months. for dentists, as case in point. You and Simon Harris have a meeting and decide we're going to increase places. How long does that take to come into fruition? 18 months? How long does it then take them to emerge as full graduates? Another three, four years minimum? So we're five years out for that as well. So there's a few things we have to do. First of all, we have to do long-term planning, and this is long-term planning. right? We're not going to see the fruits of this for a few years for exactly what you've said. But, but you have to start. You know, the best time to plant the tree is if you didn't do it 10 years ago, is today, right? Um, there, are some, there, are some, there are some easy wins here. So, for example, um, I think about 45% of our medical college places are non-EU, UK students. And what we know is that most of them go, go, go home and they work as fantastic doctors wherever, wherever they're from. That's not a good use of our resources. So I've met with some of the medical schools and said, look, we need much more... Irish, UK, EU students in here, we know they're much more likely to stay. So so let's do that. 
that's the case in medicine, it's the case in dentistry, it's the case in, 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 in various others. In nursing and midwifery, we need a big expansion. So, so we've already started. Um, there are more medical places last September than there were the previous September. We're looking for another... But we are uh, talking years and years before we start to see outcomes. Of course we are. Of course we are, because you have to train them up and that takes time. That's the long-term planning. But in the short term, um, we are hiring at a level that has never, uh, that, that has never before been seen. Um, some of that is, is, is obviously healthcare professionals coming from abroad. There's also some interesting things happening in terms of community care. So, we, so GPs quite rightly say they need more resources, particularly if we're about to add 400,000 men, women and children to free GP care. They're, they're absolutely right. Um, we need more GPs, but we also need more practice nurses. So I've spoken, for example, to uh, very experienced nurses who've let, who were in hospitals and said, look, we're done. You know, actually, some of them I met, I met, met some of them in the uh, in the vaccine program, and what they're saying to me is they don't want to go back into hospital nursing because it's it's very intense and can be very difficult. But when you say to them, "Well, would you like to do two or three days a week in your with your local GP as a as a practice nurse?" They're saying, "Actually, we would like to do that." So it's a combination of things. We have to train people for the long term. I believe there's people who are no longer practicing as healthcare Indeed. professionals here who might come in, and then obviously we need to recruit from. Abroad. Can I ask to what extent do you think you will run out of political road before you're able to deliver what you hope to? Um, that's an that's an interesting question. I well, I hope we don't run out of political road. Uh, I think the Arachnus is unified in the vision of universal healthcare. Indeed, but if, if you take, we had a poll this week that had Fianna Fáil on 18% and Sinn Féin on 35 I think it was. Not only were you lagging um, Sinn Féin by a, a stunning margin in, in Fianna Fáil historical terms, but you were lagging Fine Gael by a significant margin. On top of that, you were lagging Fine Gael significantly in the younger demographics. So when you look at the poll picture, it looks fairly bleak from a party perspective. And some of that, I assume, given the level of public focus there is on health, must be viewed as a, 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 you being a contributing factor to it. Well, the, the, the only, you know, every politician will say it is the only poll that matters is, is the poll on the day. And a lot of the polls we see are online polls. I think they're a good hint as to what might happen on the day. Well, what's a better hint is the face-to-face polls. And what you consistently see is Fianna Fáil doing uh, an awful lot better uh, in, the, in, uh, in the face-to-face polls. But ultimately, Anton... We can't think like that. We, we, this government has an important job to do in health and housing and education and, and, and the economy and other areas. But, but in my brief, what we need to do is we need to continue investing. But hang on, Minister, levels. that we is to, to suggest... Keep, keep driving down the Okay, but, but that is to suggest that paying attention to opinion polls is somehow mercenary and the dirty end of politics. What the opinion polls say is that people don't buy it, that they're, 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 they've given up, they don't have faith that this is actually going to deliver, that they think a significant facet of government policy, which is health, that it isn't going to be any different. They're not believing it. And, and, and to an extent, you wouldn't blame them because we saw year after year after year waiting lists continue to rise. The first year the waiting lists fell was last year. This is going to be the second year in a row that the waiting lists fell. We heard for year after year after year, we need more hospital beds, we need more ICU beds. This government has added a thousand hospital beds and hundreds of community beds and about 25% more ICU beds. People have quite rightly said we need more access to care in the community. Expansion of general practice, primary care teams, uh, specialist teams for chronic disease management. All of those things are being put in place. So let's take in ha- community care. 
I sanctioned a workforce of 3,500 people uh, to work across the community. That's 96 primary care teams and 60 specialist teams. About 2,500 of those 3,500 roles are now filled and I'm, there'll be a lot more filled uh, this year. Those teams are just beginning to bed in. And they're bedding in, in a lot of cases, in new state-of-the-art primary care centres. I think we opened about 25 or, or, or so last year. We'll open a lot more this year. So I wouldn't blame anybody for saying we have been waiting for our healthcare system to get better for too long, right? What, what we have to show, I mean, one of the challenges I have uh, and this government has in healthcare is for the first two years, COVID consumed an awful lot of resource, an awful lot of attention. And we've really only had clear space from that, probably from the second half of last year to now. And in that time, what's happened? Beds have been added. Doctors, nurses, health and social care professionals have been added. And critically, the waiting lists are now falling. Minister, we appreciate very much your time coming in. Before I let you go, uh, just a, a crystal ball prediction from you. Who do you think is going to be the new leader of your former party? Oh, <laughs> I don't think I have my suspicions, but I, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to uh, to comment on that. I think that is a matter entirely for, uh, for for them. Stephen Donnelly, Minister for Health, thank you very much. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.